So we're going through the Gospel of Mark over the next several weeks. We're not going to teach every single part of it, but we're going to take one incident from each chapter and just look at Jesus to find inspiration from him. Because we've been going through lots of challenging times. Those challenging times are are not over. Even though we are now able to meet together and we celebrate that, the truth is there's still a lot ahead of us that's very uncertain. So fixing our eyes on Jesus, like it says in Hebrews chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, helps us to stay grounded and helps us to stay inspired, I hope, not just sort of trudging through, getting through, gritting our teeth, but knowing that we have Jesus with us and his power and his love with us, really with us, not just on the printed page, but in us, can make all the difference. So that's why we're looking at Jesus. And in chapter one, we looked at Jesus's early ministry and the conflicts he was having with the demons and with sickness. In this chapter, we begin to see a shift where you not only continue with that, but you also see him in conflict with the authorities, with people around him. So he's going through a lot of conflict and challenges. But at this point, where is he now? He's at home. Isn't it nice to get home? It's nice to go on holiday, but then you go back and you sleep in your own bed. There's something about going home, and he's going home. He's entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. That's where his ministry was based at this time. He was born, of course, grew up in Nazareth, but then his base of operations shifted to Capernaum by the lake there, and he has gone home. And there's so many people there, there's no room inside the house or even outside. Can you imagine that? So the streets often in that culture, they were sometimes quite narrow. The houses were were quite close to each other. And so you got people jam-packed in to the point where you can't get through. Have you ever been in a crowd where you couldn't move? Anybody had that experience? What was it like? What's it like when you're in that kind of crowd? Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. At least a year and a half ago. It's claustrophobic. How does it feel? What's it like? Frustrating. Frustrating because? Because I can move, but I don't want to put it in. Mm. You, you have no control. I have no control. Yeah, yeah. It's scary, isn't it? You, you see it most often, most commonly at sports events, perhaps, when people are trying to get into a ground. And you squeeze, and you, you know, you literally, and there was a time when I went to watch a game, this is going to date me, but when I was a student at Birmingham University, I went to watch Man U versus Aston Villa at the Villa ground. It's a three-all draw. I remember it very well. It was a fantastic match. And I was, <laughs> I somehow got in with the Man U supporters. And, uh, and it, it, was, yeah, it was an interesting experience, which I'll tell you more about another time. Um, <laughs> In many ways, but uh, one of the things that happened, they were so packed in, you really, you literally couldn't move. I mean, I, I could lift my feet off the ground because I was wedged in, right? It's, this is rather like what's happening. It's like, it's like the kettling thing that happened a few years ago in London when the police pushed demonstrators into a narrow area. And you, you, you don't have, it's, this is the experience of the people. They're willing to be claustrophobic, out of control, um, frustrated, stuck for the sake of the possibility of hearing Jesus. They might not even hear him because they're outside, but they're willing to do this, which shows you how inspiring and different Jesus was. Nobody else got this kind of crowd attention. His influence was astonishing, even at that time, in those early days. The enthusiasm, a little bit like the enthusiasm Man U fans have for Ronaldo's uh, return. That kind of super excitement 
is what's going on here with Jesus. And the friends bring this paralyzed man and they, they cut a hole through the roof, which would have been a wattle and daub or a, a dung and mud and straw roof. They break through. Even saying it's straw and mud doesn't mean it was easy because it was baked really hard by the sun. So it would have been very, very tough to do that. But they break through, and not only a small hole to be able to sort of spy as to what's going on with Jesus, but a big enough hole to lower a man on a mat. So assuming the person was, I don't know, six feet or under, but thereabouts, it's at a big mat, and it's a big hole. And they make the hole, and they lower him through. Um, when um, It's rather disturbing when something comes through your ceiling, isn't it? Uh, when we were having building work done on our house a few years ago and they were redoing the loft conversion upstairs, uh, one of the apprentice builders, one of the young boys who was 16, uh, his legs suddenly appeared through the ceiling in, <laughs> into Lydia's bedroom, while she, our daughter, while she was in the room. And just plaster and dust and, and these legs <laughs> appeared <laughs> through the ceiling. And in fact, it happened twice. <laughs> this young apprentice lad uh, wasn't very um, well coordinated, shall we say. Uh, I, I don't know if he still works for them. I, I, I rather doubt it. And of course, you can see the funny side of it, but the shock, right? Can you imagine for Jesus and the crowd? And here's the kicker, right? A lot of commentators think it was Jesus' own house. Because the way it's phrased, he came home, he came to where he was living. So it's one thing if it's somebody else's house and you see a hole in the roof and you think, oh, that's, I'm sad for the owner of the house, but, but when it's your own house, how are you going to react? Some of you know, I've got a new car, I like my new car, and it's, it has that new car smell, <laughs> and it has that new car look, and there's no scuffs, there's no scratches, it, it is it yet, and it is, it is just lovely inside, and I'm not letting anybody eat in the car, and no one is allowed to do that, and, and when, you know, if somebody else, like Penny, wants to park the car, I might often go out and offer to park it for her, and I'm being very careful with this car, and uh, we were visiting my father the weekend after I got the car, so it was really, really new. And we were down there recently, and my father, as many of you will know, is disabled, someone, and he needs sticks. And I took him somewhere, and he was getting out of the car, and I was going to go round to his side of the car and open the door so that he could, and open it nice and wide so that he could more easily get out and all that. But I was a bit slow getting out of the car, and he opened the door, and it wouldn't open very fast, so he took one of his sticks. He took one of his sticks, and he pushed the door open from the inside with the stick on the, the plastic, you know, side of the door, and it made a scuff mark. <laughs> and I was... I, it took all my self-control. <laughs> not to shout at my father, what do you think you're doing? Put your stick away! I'm coming round your side! Oh, dear, so I... Uh, anyway, he is my father, and... Uh, <laughs> So I, I let him off, but I think I might, next time I give him a lift, I think I'll put the, the sticks in the boot. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, so imagine that, Jesus with all the kettling outside, all the crowds, all the noise, 
and the roof of his house being broken open, and then this man being lowered there. And the first thing Jesus does is he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, isn't that interesting? Son, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. So, what's going on here? Why, why do you think Jesus starts there? Why do you think he forgives him and doesn't heal him? And lads, you're welcome to answer, by the way. This is not an adults-only uh, uh, um, permission to speak. All right, so feel free, anybody. So why do you think Jesus says that and doesn't heal him? Surely all the people around are thinking, because he's been healing people in chapter 1, right? Casting out demons, healing people. Surely everybody would have been thinking, we know what he's going to do. He's going to heal this fellow. But he, the leaders, he was conscious of the leaders being there and he was trying to prove a point. Yeah, it, maybe part of the point was for the teachers of the law that were there and are going to criticize him. Okay, so part of it was for them as well as... Okay, good, yeah. possible. It's possible that that was caused by some sin. We don't know for sure, but it's possible. More of an effect. That's an interesting point. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I wanted to add, in verse 10, I think Jesus, like uh, you said, was trying to get the attention of the teachers by saying, that instead of saying be healed. Right. We wanted to really spoke that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The controversy is coming anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was gonna say just like what you were saying, that like if someone um, did our roof and we were gonna be angry and everything. I think for me I thought maybe Jesus felt like the audacity to do that and then said fast you seem to get forgiven because that's actually not right to do that. Mm. And he first then like a self control, like I'll forgive you first before any other thing. Okay, that comes first. All right. Yeah. I don't know. It, it often makes me think about how we can be so fixated on our earthly problems, which are really important to us, like illness and health and that kind of thing. And yet, it is not the most important thing. It is not yeah. the thing that really matters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Jesus is getting to the root and the heart of something that's more significant than even the things that appear right in front of you that look so significant. Yeah? I think uh, even God is not Right. Yeah, you're right. Jesus prioritized forgiveness and, and that it's something that we should be doing in an un, with an un, a spirit of unlimited forgiveness. Right? Yeah. So he's showing that himself right here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe 
also offending those people, they might be angry, but in forgiving him, will override their own forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Okay, so we've got Jesus being surprising. And I, I think one of the things about the Christian life, we stay kind of connected with Jesus and excited about our Christian life for as long as we still find Jesus rather surprising and somewhat unpredictable and inspiring. And when we lose that, we've lost something very significant. So let's not forget how amazing Jesus is here and how, how strange this whole thing is rather. I, I've heard many sermons, and I may have said this myself, that I wonder whether the man who was forgiven was disappointed. I've often wondered. So he hears this, your sins are forgiven, and he's thinking, fine, thanks, but <laughs> I, I, I'm lying here. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I wonder, yeah? Well, it is possible, although we don't know for sure. And because the text doesn't say, I think it's unlikely, although it's possible, because I think if it was the case, it would more likely be there to show us. So, but we're not sure, maybe. But I think this, I don't know whether the chat was disappointed or not, because again, we don't know. But what I think is this, Jesus knew what his need was more than even perhaps he did himself, and perhaps even more than his friends did. Presumably, his friends thought he needed healing, but what he really needed was forgiveness, more than healing. Oh, he did need healing. Of course he did, but he needed something else more. So Jesus had an insight into that person's need that he expressed and he dealt with because he knew it was more important than anything else for that person. And sometimes that happens to you and me, doesn't it? That God does things in our lives, allows things in our lives, and, and progresses things in our lives that are not the things that you and I would choose. He allows some ill health, which we would not have chosen. He allows a redundancy we would not have chosen. He allows problems with school, bullying, and issues like that, which are not good, but he allows some of these things. We wouldn't have chosen it. He allows sometimes marriage problems and family problems. He, all kinds of things he allows that he must know we need it in some strange way. So this is all about faith. In the end, this passage is really so much about faith. Which is easier? When he's criticized, he says, which is easier, to pronounce forgiveness or to heal? And Jesus is using an argument here from saying, well, if, if I can do what's visible, then that, well, I can do the impossible that you can see, as in heal somebody, then clearly I must be capable of doing the thing you can't see. That must be easier. So that seems to be the way he's arguing here. So he says, all right, if it's easier to say I forgive you than it is to heal somebody, I will heal the person to show you that if I have that much power, I must also be able to forgive. And so then he does tell the chap, um, get, take up your mat and go home, and he does that. It's extraordinary what's going on here. So let me draw a few potential applications for us, and you can decide what fits for you from this message about faith and the power and the love of Jesus. And then we'll take some bread and wine together to cement what we're learning here onto Jesus and his, his presence with us in representation of his body and his blood. So a few thoughts. Uh, firstly, uh, I would say this, that it's really important um, that we allow Jesus to forgive us. And this might seem like a really obvious point to make in a, in a context like this, but it is really important that we let him forgive us. And so what Jesus' goal is here is for this person to leave healed in every sense. 
My friend John Lewis says, everybody gets forgiven, but not everybody gets healed. I mean, you become a Christian. You get forgiven, but not everybody really progresses as a Christian, is what he's getting at. To develop that depth of relationship with God where we get to enjoy the forgiveness. We get to enjoy the grace. We get to enjoy the presence of Christ in us that gives us a freedom and a joy and a and uh, an ability to grow that we wouldn't have otherwise. And so my point briefly is, if you carry a lot of guilt with you, that's not something that Jesus wants you to endure. If you carry a sense of shame with you, not at moments, but carry it with you. If you're habitually a shame-filled person or uh, a guilt-filled person, that's something to be honest about, to open up about, to talk about, to pray about, to talk about with Christian friends who might be able to help you with scripture and praying together to help you not live a life um, paralyzed by guilt, paralyzed by shame. That's not God's aim. And sometimes in the Christian tradition, it can be seen as being pious and holy to be someone who's guilty. Like, you know, I'm no good. I'm a worm, not a man. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't even deserve to be, and these pious sounding words, I don't even deserve to be a Christian, I, it's kind of true, but how would you want that, would you want that of your children, wandering around all the time saying, I don't deserve to be here, I don't deserve to have dinner, I don't deserve to have these clothes you've given me, I, don't, I mean it might be true, but you, at moments, but you don't want them walking around in your house like that, growing up like that, do you? And neither does God want that, he wants us to enjoy the forgiveness. So, Make a, make a hole for forgiveness to flow in, if you like. Let, let that forgiveness flow. And if you struggle with that, please don't, don't live with it forever. Uh, don't live with it thinking it has to, it's meant to be that way. Forgiveness is the beginning of everything that is glorious in the Christian life. But it's the beginning. It's the beginning. And when we get distracted from enjoying that relationship with God, we're missing something really important. I was walking in our house uh, last week. Um, we have a chest of drawers we've, we've given away, but we had a chest of drawers, actually it came from you, uh, from, and Penny varnished it, and we had it for a while, and, um, and then we, got a, we changed some things in our spare bedroom to make it easier for my father to stay uh, with his sticks or without them, and uh, we had a chest of drawers that we then, I gave away on a thing called Next Door, if any of you are familiar with that neighborhood thing. So anyway, somebody came to pick, them up, pick it up yesterday, but... It, for a whole week, it was in our hallway, and our hallway is quite dark at night, and uh, I have a bruise here, a really nasty bruise, where I walked into the side, the, the edge of the corner of the chest of drawers last week, and you may feel sorry for me, but you shouldn't, because the reason I walked into the chest of drawers, and to my, you know, in my defense, it was dark, and I didn't have the lights on in the hallway, and it's not where it normally lives, because it was just there, because it wasn't in the bedroom anymore, you see what I'm saying, right? But the reason I walked into the chest of drawers is because I was looking at something on my phone while I was walking through the house. Right. So just like some, I don't know, I'm sure our teenagers are much more intelligent than me. <laughs> I'm sure it's just that I'm old and uncoordinated and I couldn't, be, I couldn't see out of the corner of my eye that there was a chest of drawers there. And so I stubbed my toes on the, really painful, I was hopping around and I got this massive bruise. And it's... It, when, when, when we're not focused right, we miss the things that matter. You know, we can avoid sin and the consequences of sin. We can enjoy the relationship God has given us and the forgiveness he's given us if we remember that we need him. We need prayer. We need the Bible. 
We need all the things that God has provided to help us to enjoy all that the Christian life has to offer. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is this. One of the most impressive things about this passage is the obedience of the man who's paralyzed. I mean, he's never been healed, he's never been healed before, right? I mean, it's not like he's got, oh, I was healed last week and I'm going to get some more healing. He has never experienced this. So here's a chap who's lying there and Jesus has said, your sins are forgiven and I hope he's grateful, whatever. But then he says, take it up, take, pick up your mat and off you go. That's a decision for him to make, isn't it? And you might think, now we know the whole story. We think it's obvious. Of course he would pick up his mat. But really, when you're in the middle of it and you're paralyzed, wouldn't you feel a fool if you tried and you couldn't? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of fear maybe going on here. But his obedience shows his trust and faith in Jesus. It's, faith is primarily expressed through obedience. There's lots of different kinds of faith in the Bible, but the way it's expressed, the way it's lived, is demonstrated by obedience to the Word of God. So a short point here. If you want the power of God in your life, you've got to embrace obedience to the Word of God. If you want to experience the power of God, you've got to embrace obedience to the Word of God. Now, obedience sometimes has a bit of a... Um, can be a bit of a sort of a dirty word or it can be uh it can be seen as a burden i must obey and and it doesn't seem to have any heart behind it or relationship behind it but what we know about god is that when god tells us to obey something it's always for our best interests it's not to make him happy so our obedience is not if i obey then i'll keep god at a distance and he won't whack me that's not the reason for obedience, nor is it to earn brownie points. Like, I think I'll get into the seventh tier of heaven instead of the sixth tier of heaven by being more obedient. That's not what obedience is about. Obedience is a channel for God's blessings into our lives. There's an old saying about the reason for studying the Bible, doing your own personal Bible study. It's, uh, the saying is something like, one of the best, things, best ways to do your Bible study is to open it and look for something to obey. And there's more to it than that, of course, but there's something in that. Opening our Bible to read it, to look for something to obey, but not to earn favor. Looking for something to obey because it's a way that God's blessings come into our lives. We know that, for example, confessing sin is one of those commands that we don't like, but it's in the Bible. But we also know those of us who have confessed sin to somebody, the refreshment that comes from that, that God's blessings come through obedience. And his blessing comes because of his faithful trust and obedience, and then he's healed. And thirdly, finally, um, let's just go back and look at the friends for a minute. Often the focus of the teaching on this passage is on the friends, and I think that's fair enough. But the focus should be Jesus. The second focus, I think, should be the man who's healed. But the third focus maybe should be the friends. And we see here the friends who must have gone through quite a lot of effort to get through the crowd. I mean, it's hard enough getting through the crowd if you're on your own, but four of you carrying a man on a mat. I don't know how they managed it. Perhaps they carried some clubs with them to bong people out of the way. I don't really know, but they managed it and they took him there and they lowered him and then he had the opportunity to be healed, to be made whole through the whole. The friends were so important. We really matter to each other, uh, whether we kind of know it or not whether we feel it or not, whether we've arrived recently, like Raymond and Dele and your family, 
or whether we've been here since kind of the start, uh, like Danny and Becky and, and others, however long we've been part of a group like this, we need each other. We need each other desperately. Uh, our access to faith and the healing of Jesus often comes through another friend in the church, a brother, a sister. Someone's able to sit with us and listen or share a scripture that's meaningful or pray together in a way that reconnects us with God, helps us through our misconceptions about ourselves and about Jesus, helps us to understand how better we can use our gifts to glorify God, helps us to understand better uh, how we can make an impact on this world and help other people become Christians and enjoy the healing that Jesus has for us. We need each other. And if I can make an appeal to myself as much as anybody else, as we, as we are coming out of the lockdown and meet, seeing each other more, I'd like to encourage all of us to be active in inviting ourselves into each other's lives. Don't be rude, right? Don't be over pushy. I don't mean that. Like, I'm coming to your house tomorrow at six o'clock, you'd better be in. That's not that kind of thing, right? But, the, but, but not waiting for someone to invite you into, to have a coffee, to have a lunch, to visit each other in our homes or go out to the park. Not wait for somebody else saying, I don't know you very well. There are lots of people we don't know very well now, right? That's a really good thing. So, and, and even those of us who've known each other a long time, we haven't spent much time together in the last 18 months. So we don't know each other's life in many ways for, for the last year and a half. So what do we need to do? We need to say, let's you and I be faithful friends and see how we can encourage each other in Christ. Let's spend some time together. Let's do it this week. Maybe in our fellowship, we can get the diary out and set up some time to meet up this week or in the next few days. I think we really need that because that's a lot of how faith develops. So three thoughts from this passage for me. Firstly, let that full forgiveness have its effect on you. Don't carry unnecessary, unhelpful guilt and shame with you, thinking it's somehow godly. Secondly, uh, allow obedience to be a good word, a positive word in your life. Look for things to obey. Test God, if you like, in a healthy way, to, to actually put into practice what he says in his word. And then let's see that God's blessings come. And thirdly, let's, let's open a channel for for deeper friendship. I need it. I think we all need it right now. And that's why we keep our eyes on Jesus. Because when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we see the strength and the power and the love that we don't have in ourselves, that he has and is willing to share with us.